Good morning, Sarah Hepla. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. Oh, is it a nice brisk fall in New York these days? It is actually. I like, you know, I, I think we really are now. We're, what are we, 70 or 80 years old? We start every conversation talking about the weather. Is that? <laughs> how's the weather how's, it, how's your ankle feeling with this? Mine hurts. Um, yeah, I haven't been outside yet, but um, it's, it's feeling kind of crisp. I'm wondering, I wonder if there's anybody in our world that can tell us what it's like in Austin, Texas today. I, I know somebody. I know you somebody. can? You can? What's it like, British fantasy over in? Uh... It's actually like fall. <laughs> oh, it's like it went right from it went from ninety degrees to forty-eight degrees. <laughs> Whoa! No, it, it's like in the seventies today. Now that the sun is up, but it got down to forty-eight last night, which was co- made it cozy. It's just rude. Um, Sarah, over here so- in Dallas, my heater is on. My yeah. heater is on. We went we went from AC to heat. Not Fully. my favorite, not my favorite transition in the world. <laughs> it was a bit of a whiplash, but yeah. I can hardly complain. The weather's no. gorgeous outside here in good old-fashioned Texas. The Texas girls are outnumbering the New Yorkers on this podcast today. At last. True. At last. <laughs> This is the beginning of our secession. <laughs> We're going to get Nancy to move here. <laughs> yes. um, um, Sarah, would you like to introduce our lovely guest today? I have written an introduction. Bridget Fetisi is the charming host of the podcast Walk-Ins Welcome, where she has interviewed everyone from Matt Taibbi to Megan Kelly to one Nancy Rommelman. She's also a comic whose irreverent take on the day's nonsense can be found on her weekly YouTube show, Dumpster Fire. She started her career, uh, her writing career at Playboy, where she got dragged into the culture wars, and she has been thriving ever since. She writes the Substack Beyond Parody with Bridget Fetisi and hosts an online community at Fetisi.com. I've been wanting to meet her for ages, and now the world finally feels right. Bridget Fetisi, welcome to Smoke em If You Got em. Thank you. We need to get you on walk-ins. Welcome. Oh my gosh. That would be so much fun. We have so much in common. Uh, I've been hearing this actually for a while from our mutual listeners, but uh, from our, you know, both living in Texas now, but we also both are sober oh, women. Yeah. You wrote yes, Blackout. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Which ma'am. I read when I first was thinking about getting sober. How long have you been sober? <laughs> 13 years. Out of 10 years tomorrow. Oh, dude. <laughs> oh, that, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. It's so Happy crazy to me. I don't. Thank you. 10 feels very crazy. 10 feels crazy. That's a big one. That's a really big one. I don't know why. It's not that different from nine, but it does. I think it's just because when you get sober, but at least for me, 10 seemed like science fiction. And oh. it's a decade, like a whole decade of my life with no hangovers and no, it's just so crazy to me. I, it sounded, I didn't believe anybody when they told me that they had 10 years and I got, when I got sober. Fully, fully. I yeah, they were 10 months. Yeah. 10 months seemed like, uh, 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like, uh, uh, you know, an epic, uh, 13 was really big for me because that was when I realized I had, you know, I had officially been sober longer than I'd been drinking. Um, meaning oh that I had started drinking at 13. Okay. Yeah. So 
I would need to, I think I've done this math and I think I, I got sober at 35. So I would need to be, I would have to be sober like 22 years to make it even. Well, I said it wrong. I had at, what I meant was it was my longest stretch of sobriety because I had started at 13. Oh, so I, I drank right. for, for, uh, until I was 35 as well. So we quit. Okay. We both quit at 35 years old. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what it is about 35. I a lot 35, of people quit. 35 is like a magic number in sobriety. Mm. I think it's something about where the, you know, the kind of good times van kind of starts to break down. And the Bacchanal of your 20s. And also, it is not cute anymore. No. Nope. And no. people are not, like, when I'm when I'm falling off my bar stool, people are not laughing. No, it's not it's funny. Sad. It's sad. Yeah. You're becoming that girl. I also got just, you know, that I, I, I wasn't trustworthy. You know, there was, I was, I, I didn't trust myself because I could, I was the person who would say I can drink, I I can drive tonight and everyone would kind of roll their eyes and someone else would plan to be the driver. And I would be like, no, I can do this. And I never could. And I also just was, I always would wake up like, what did I say? What did, what did I, what like secrets did I spill? What, gossip was I spreading? I don't know. Just always so much shame. And that's if I even knew where I was. I've been thinking so much for some reason about this one particular time right before I got sober when I woke up with an old, it was like, I went back to my hometown and I just, I had been traveling around the world and I was so lost coming back. The like reverse culture shock was just doing a number on me and I felt completely lost and purposeless. And I went back to my hometown and got a job just seasonally waiting tables and fell back into all my old habits, including men. Yeah. When I went back to this, it was like being in my twenties all over again or my, at, at my kind of worst. And I woke up with an old flame and I don't, I had to drop a pin to figure out where I was and how to, you know, get home. It was, it was so demoralizing with this person who had kind of like, we had been around and around for so many years and he had always kind of treated me like garbage. And I mean, the sex was great, but. (laughs) (laughs) At least there was that. I I don't know if this was true. For you, but I was okay, Mrs. such Lincoln, a blackout drinker. Right? <laughs> I, I was such a blackout drinker that when I would when I would open my eyes, the first thought was like, "Do I recognize this ceiling?" Yeah, and and yeah. if I didn't, it was like, "Damn it!" Yeah, and then every once in a while, I'd open my eyes and be like, "Yes, this is my ceiling," and then I'd turn around and be like, "Fuck, who is that guy?" <laughs> yeah, oh, Sarah. Shit. Yeah. You know, there's this sinking, you know, and, and that didn't happen. Like, I don't want to make it sound like that happened a million times, but that happened enough times that I remember, you know, like. The we don't care about your just, body count, Sarah. We're not conservative geez. men. <laughs> All right. Well, and I want to talk to you about that later on. You know, you wrote a great piece called I Regret Being a Slut that I think resonated with both Nancy and me. Yeah. Um, around our youthful um, 
indiscretions, you know, and, yeah. and maybe some some mixed up ideas about what it meant to kind of, uh, quote unquote, own your sexuality. I wonder by, by I giving really, it away to strangers. Yeah, <laughs> by giving it away. I wonder what that I I always wonder and obviously I'll never know what that would look like if I hadn't started drinking and doing drugs and smoking weed and and just being an addict as early as I had. You know, I I don't know that that that's the thing about this piece that I feel that I regret being a slut piece why I feel I could write more of a book because it, it was one aspect of, of the feelings. Like I, I do regret it. I, for many different reasons, I regret it. And people have pushed me and been like, well, did you regret it in real time? Like, yeah. Like you said, I would wake up and be like, where am I? Where are my clothes? Where, who is this? Um, not millions of times, but enough times that you feel that, feel that demoralizing sense of terror and shame. And also just like, wow, I could have been murdered last night easily. Um, I feel the the serial killers were really sleeping on their job in the early aughts. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> there was so much more opportunity there than they realized. Yeah. Hitchhiking was easy. Try a bar at 2 a.m. with yes. a bunch of blackout drinkers. Totally. Um, maybe, maybe they knew. Maybe they knew that that, that would get them busted. Um can't just go killing, go around killing white girls, I guess, without, yeah. without it getting outsized attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was something I, I thought a lot about after that piece was just how much addiction played into that. Like, would I have been as promiscuous if I was just a sober-ish person in my 20s and 30s? Well, I, you know, I really feel like, you know, that so that's that piece really speaks to a moment, I think, in the 90s and the aughts when there was a real message that uh, that women could and maybe should, you know, sleep around like men and that it was a form of your desirability, your power to kind of have a bunch of men um notches in your bedpost. Uh, the worst thing to, to be was sort of like a prude or um, a cold fish or something like that. I always wanted to be like very sexually um, wise and advanced and, you know, um, and, and I think, you know, we can have conversations about whether or not sex really needs to be tied in with intimacy. I think I would say, no doubt it, is better when it is, per, you know, it's, it's like, like that's the, the, the like strong cocktail, right. Is sex and love. Maybe it doesn't have to be, but I've always thought that that's an advanced move. Like that's an advanced placement. Sexuality is yeah. like the sex without attachment. Yeah. And what we did culturally was to make it the entry level for a lot of people. Mm. Um, that's true. And That's I think true. when you do that, how, how do you even do it? It's like asking people um, to skydive or something. And uh, so alcohol and weed and, you know, all these other things fill in the space to become a kind of compliance drug, you know, so that you can get to that level. They mm -hmm. actually make it, uh, you know, I, I, even, you know, you and I um, abused that. 
we we were, you know, ultimately alcoholics. But I think there's a lot of people that just had to lean really hard on that crutch because otherwise, how how do you do this thing where you have sex with a stranger? So have sex with somebody you don't know very well. And as hookup culture becomes kind of the dominant mode of sexuality into the aughts, like I think that alcohol just becomes more and more of a necessary crutch. I have so many women right now dating that I write their text messages for them. Um, <laughs> oh, really? I should start a service, honestly. Um, but they just don't know how to, I don't know how they, how they, how to do it. You know, that, did you guys watch Sex in the City where I, I hated it, but that was what you're talking about is the generation we kind of came of age around. And yeah. that was very like every one of my girlfriends wanted to move to New York and drink Cosmopolitans and they'd have these parties. And I just never liked the show, but because I hate, um, I'm just not a shopper. So I didn't care about like bags. <laughs> not a and shopper is I one of the like funnier shoes. <laughs> no, I, I totally sympathize with this. You know, like I didn't watch it that much either. And I was just like too much shoes. Yeah. Like shoes. I don't care. I don't care about this at all. I'm not, I'm just not that kind of woman and never have been. My husband has been begging me to go to the outlets just to pick out like a couple of shirts for media hits because I, every time I get ready, I'm like, I hate my clothes. I have no clothes. He's like, go shopping. I'm like, I hate it. I hate it. I need my, my husband's going to become my personal shopper for me. But yeah, that, that was like, that was really the dominant um, vibe, you know, it was very like, try to, try to, that whole show was about exactly what you're talking about, just being comfortable being a slut, which is, again, I think if you start from a place where you're empowered, I'm not, it, it's, and you feel okay about it. And that's, like you said, it's pretty advanced. I think it, for a woman in particular, it's pretty advanced emotional, you know, insight Yeah. or I, I don't think I've ever actually achieved it, even though I wanted to think that I did. And of course there were times, like when people are like, did you have fun? I'm like, yeah, I did. But it was a total, I was getting off on like the power because I feel like what happened to me was I didn't really fully understand my, the power of my sexual, I it got taken away at such a young age because I was, I was sexually assaulted, drugged and raped when I was drinking, um, when I was like 18. And so lots of people respond to that by being, you know, hyper promiscuous, which yep. was it's my actually, response to it. It's a very typical response. And then I just wanted to be like a man eater. So I was, I was definitely trying to achieve some level of um, predatory female behavior in terms of being able to walk into a bar and just kind of mark a man and be like, that's the guy that I'm going to try and seduce. Although, as I've said many times before, seducing men is like hunting cows. It's not like right. it's not <laughs> a big challenge. It's not a big challenge, and no. especially at certain ages. I mean, you walk in, you bat your eyes and bingo. Um, but it's ultimately not very satisfying either. I mean, I'm I mean, sure 
All of I'd us. be lying to myself if I said I, there weren't a few, a few the, yes, like a few. There's there were a few, few bucks on my wall that I don't don't mind bring that I'm proud of bringing down. A few when you're when you guys were talking, it made me think of like trying to you know go back and think of what it was like to start to become sexual and like at first you don't really know anything about it and it's kind of interesting and what is this thing and maybe your friends have done it already and you haven't so it's like oh, it's this big thing that's going to happen and then it happens and it's like okay yeah. well all right that's this thing and well let me let me try it with somebody else right i was lucky like the first person i did it with i was like in puppy love so you know kind of mm. like was okay and fun and then and then like and then like you try with someone else and like well that wasn't really so much fun and it's almost becomes like this advent calendar right it's like well what's behind this little window it's like <laughs> i don't really like that chocolate that had like peach goo in it that's not my thing right um but then I mean, at a certain point, you kind of do understand something about sex. It's like, well, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. And when you continue to engage in it, when you're just trying to, you put it in, I reread your, your article this morning, that I regret being a slut. And you, you, know, you said pun intended, just trying to fill up a hole with a man yeah. inside of me. I don't know if I would actually call it exactly that, but it was like trying to see... If I stay curious about this thing, and of course my situation was somewhat different from you guys because I wasn't drinking heavily. Um, if I stay curious about this, will there be something here that I don't know yet? Will I be surprised? Will I learn something? Will there be some kind of new epiphany, including maybe like some hot, fun, body, orgasmic nipple <laughs> stuff, right? That's cool. But a lot of, most of the time, it wasn't. Most of the time, it, it was kind of like, dull or why did I do that? Or ew. So you, but you don't learn that for a while. You don't, you know, whether it's because you then learn it because of sobriety or because you fall into a steady relationship or you just realize it yourself. But it's funny. I don't, I don't know if I would consider myself having been a slut, but I definitely, I would definitely say, I don't, I really have no idea how many people I've slept with in my life. But you're so cute, I, Nancy. You're I could probably, I could probably get rid of seventy five percent of them and like, oh yeah, be totally fine. You're such a journalist, though. You're like, like I'm listening to you. I'm like, you're like the Nancy Goodall or the Jane Goodall of you know oh, going yeah. into these oh, like yeah. sexual encounters. And I'm like, I was just blacked out, usually trying to be like as hot as I possibly could be, and finding like the biggest dick. Oh, in the room, both, both applications, <laughs> literally, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I, I fall somewhere in the middle. I mean, I, I definitely was uh, searching for experience. I mean, I think the truth mm -hmm. of me through all those years is that I was searching for attachment and love, but right. feeling that I couldn't find it. Uh, the secondary gain was adventure. You know, I wanted to sound like somebody that had had experience, mm. um, you know, that, uh, I was, I was very good at, you know, cause I was always the single person at the party. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how yep. do you turn that, that place of what feels like potentially low status into something of, you know, that it's okay, you know, but I have these funny stories. Um, these crazy things happened. I saw, you know, I was an adventurer. Yep. Um, but I relate to that. Yeah. But as I, th I, I think about how, when I was young, like I'd go to these Christmas par parties or my family's homes over Christmas 
and everybody had all the pictures of their, I've written about this, just their pictures. Like I call them the Christmas sweater people and they'd all be matching sweaters or they'd all have their dog in their house and they'd all be standing together. And for years I wanted to make my own Christmas card, like a picture of me jumping in front of a sunset in Sri Lanka and just say, I'm the freest person on this wall. <laughs> but that was a cope in a lot. Of, I mean, cope. it was, it was a cope. cope. I can look back and say it was partially a cope. It was also partially true. Yeah, like there yeah, were a lot yeah. of people who told me they lived vicariously through my adventures because they couldn't just get in a car and drive to a weed farm to go work for three months or go, you know, there, it's a, there were trade-offs for that lifestyle, but they're looking, looking back on it. Um, yeah, I am an adventurer. That's something that's, that's hard living as a suburban mom in, in Texas right now, that wanderlust is real in me. That's not something that's drink drinking and it's not mm -hmm. always a cope. It's really, truly, I think, like I feel so alive when I get on the road for a road trip and I don't know where I'm going or I get a one-way ticket and fly to a country. I feel I cannot, I know Nancy, you're smiling like you know this feeling, Sarah, I don't know you enough to know, but I just get this, like it gives me juice for my entire life. So part of that was true. And then part of it, was a cope because like you said even though I might have been the freest person on that wall I was arguably considered the lowest status person on that wall as well and also the poorest like always oh God. always the always. poorest <laughs> <laughs> like yeah you might be you might be free but you're very poor um, you don't have Christmas presents for anyone ever. So, oh my gosh, no, no. I mean, I think as a like, I'm a chronically single person. I think that I'm very much the object of probably pity, but envy. There's no question. Mm. There's no question that people envy my ability to hop in a car and and go anywhere. And I do that as well. And I and I love that. Something Nancy and I have in common. We're it's adventurers. For, one of the best feelings for me is when I have an assignment and I'm someplace I don't know and I rent, get in the rental car or maybe I've driven my own car and you're just driving toward the story. It's, there's like no feeling like it. I, I love it and, 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 and been doing more of it lately, which is really, really fun. Um, so we're going to keep talking about this, I'm sure, but I did want to just ask you a little question about, uh, motherhood, Bridget, because you had written earlier, you're like, there's no way. This is a trap. I'm not going to be a mother. And and then uh, if you want to maybe talk a just tiny bit about um, your kind of the surprise of, of having a baby. Yeah. I mean, she was a miracle. You know, she, if that's even the thing, I believe it is. Um, she, they had told me, I never wanted, what I've really come to realize again with hindsight and age is that I didn't want just to have a child for having a child's sake. I wanted a family and not having a man that I trusted or could be intimate with or, or felt was a good capable partner um, made that, per, that I, that I had to kind of squash that hope because it's so far out of reach that and it's so painful, I think, if you if you really stare it in the face as a woman who's 
approaching, you know, the age where suddenly having a baby is not, you're not able to do it, that um, it's easier to just cope and tell myself that I didn't want one ever anyways, or that it was a trap or that um, having a kid was for the breeders or whatever I thought in my twenties. Um, <laughs> so you actively did not want a kid. I was totally, I've written about this too. Like when I hear the 20 year olds who are like, I'm the breeders and, yep, the, and yep. the ecos, like the world, I'm like, I, yeah, we all said that, you know, like, okay, you're, it's a phase you'll get through it don't chop your boobs off or like do, you know, take hormones or whatever. Don't make it so that you can't ever have children. If you decide you're going to change your mind, um, which we often do, but yeah, I, I don't think I ever, you know, my sibling, I'm the oldest of five. I'm the, I was the last one to have a kid. All my siblings have children. Um, a couple of them have three kids. My, one of my youngest sisters has been a mom since she was in her teens so I saw, you know, what it looked like and how hard it is and just how all consuming it is and the grind of it, like the absolute monotony of parenthood is so insane and such a marathon, just the like breakfast, you get into a rhythm, but it's definitely like when she started eating three meals a day, I was like, what the fuck? Hey, You're I can't keep doing this every day with this shit. <laughs> every day I've got to feed you three times like a good meal. I can't just eat like cookies from Trader Joe's for dinner anymore because that's what I lived on. Like, I mean, it was it's and I can't just eat whenever I want. There needs to be some kind of routine. And it was that I just remember being like, wow, OK, we're going to yeah, this is, this is going to be a mess three times a day and it's nuts. And, and then I've got to like get creative about dinners, you know, I can't feed her like turkey and broccoli every night or whatever. <laughs> like, when, it's uh, just, How old is she now? She's, she's young. She's only 17 months. Um, she, but so I saw that with my sisters who my one sister always jokes that she feels like a grandmother because her kids are in their twenties and late, later teens. And so she's, she's, I, but I've seen every time she calls me, she's folding laundry for decades, you know, like for decades, we've just like the laundry. Oh my God. It's so, yeah, I saw that and wanted no part in it. You know, I just, I was, I was totally okay. And, um, I felt the same way about dogs. I felt, and then I got a dog when I got sober, like a year and a half in and my husband and I joke, he's like, none of this would be here if it wasn't for hope. Because she really stabilized me and forced. I, I, same thing with her. When I first got her, I was like, oh, she like wake up and eat her walk. I'm like every day with this shit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like. But the but yes, and all of it can look like a trap and look like a drag. But there is something to be said for, I mean, the great soul satisfaction of being connected and responsible for another human or animal in the case or of hope. plant plant. Yes. We yes. just got trees. And I'm like, these are like people in my life. I have to worry about them. I care about them. I've got to keep them alive. Are they yes. getting too much water? Not enough. I stress out about it. I'm like it's looking a little wilted. Is it okay? Um, I, I do think there's, there's a lot of 
um, it's just so much responsibility and I didn't want any of it. You know, I just did, I wanted to be, I wanted, wanted to just be free and unencumbered. And I was really okay with that idea of, of, I think that's the thing that what happened to me in sobriety, getting sober at 35 was I suddenly really, I was lucky that I had a therapist who helped me really do the work around having a child, not having a child, being okay with it if I couldn't have a child. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was so kind of not, I didn't really have to think about or process that stuff. And I have friends now who are kind of in their like 40s and they're like, I guess I should, I'm like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be thinking about this right now. You should have been thinking about this and like, it seems like you should be doing this. It's a heavy lifting, you know, to, well, to yeah, do that I mean, like emotional work and to suddenly face it at 40 seems like you're, you're already, um, that I think we've been lied to in our culture to think that, that it's still just as possible as perhaps it is when you're 35 to have a child. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, like, so I, so I got, you know, I got sober at 35 like you. And then the next years I was, you know, going on about my life and also trying to write my book. My book came out when I was 40 years old and I was so like, I was like, yes, I did it. And then it was like, I had actually gotten this huge, I'd climbed this mountain. And then I was like, you know what? Oh my God, I really haven't thought about kids. So, I mean, Mm. like I started thinking about that at 41, 42, And it was like, yeah, it was like thinking about going out to dinner at 11 p.m. You know, it's like there's not a lot of places that are still open. (laughs) You know, like most of the restaurants are closed at this point. You don't have a lot of options. It's really funny to use that as an example, because my dad asked me if I wanted to freeze my eggs at 37. I was like, isn't this like freezing the chicken after it's been in the fridge for a week? Like it feels (laughs) like I should just be throwing it away. And looking back, 37 really now I know it really wasn't too young. Like if I had wanted a child after my miracle child, um, it maybe would have been nice to have some eggs to have that opportunity if I really had wanted it mm-hmm. uh, or at least wanted to try. But it did feel even at 37 when he was having that conversation, I'm like, mm, this feels like it's... And I used to try and make that joke on stage and everybody would get super uncomfortable and feel bad for me. Well, that's the thing. It's very <laughs> hard to say. It's very hard to talk about, like in my position, like wanting to have had kids and then not having kids without people being like, oh, yeah. you know, like and they feel really sad for me. And, and it's, it's, I get it, but it's also like, I I don't want to lie and say that I never wanted kids because that would be just not true. I have been, you know, but it's like my life didn't end up going that way. When you Um, ended up thinking about it in your forties and did, did you, were you in a relationship or was it just something you started thinking about and were you open to just like having a kid? Yeah. So I was in um, a couple of different relationships that were not like one of them was burgeoning and he lived in L.A. and I wanted to move out there. And, you know, but like it turned out like he was not nearly as invested in the relationship as I was. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one was kind of like an on and off thing with somebody that was like 
I loved deeply, but wasn't emotionally available for me. Like any, I couldn't get out of that thing. Mm -hmm. So it was two different relationships that were not providing the, the sort of stable groundwork that I wanted. Um, and so, uh, you know, I eventually decided to look into things like having a child on my own. But my decision at 42 and 43 was the same one that I had made at 30 and 31 when I thought about this, which was that I didn't want to have a child on my own. I wanted mm. to have a family. Um, and, and just being a writer, um, my finances are so precarious. Yeah, I get it. And I just, I thought I'm not going to do this. I'm not, and, and everybody, you know, people were just like, just do it. We'll make it happen. Like when, when I, I have never seen people like, like rally around me. Like when I started saying I might want a child, it was a little weird and reckless. I have to say like, <laughs> like darling in a way, because everybody was just like, oh, I'll throw in. And I'm like, would you really like, like, you're going to take care of my kid on third. You're not going to, you're going to be gone. It's going to be me. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, anyway, it's, uh. I'll never know, but, uh, but you're, but you are kind of, you're, you're living my, my dream here. You got your husband and you, you got pregnant at what? Were you 43? 42. I had her at 43. You had her at 43. Yeah. 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 Crazy. But they told me I was in menopause. Like I went, I went to the doctor and they said, you were surprised you're even getting a period just looking at my levels. And then Cause when I first got back, so my husband, Jaron and I got, got together. He was also in recovery. It was very early in recovery for him. He was, I'm, I'm four years ahead of him. So he was like 90 days in, not even, and Whoa. we met and it was like chemistry. Literally we touched our fingers at this like sad Halloween party at the Alano club. And, but it was cute. And, um, there was like electricity between us. And I was like, what the heck was that? And then we tried dating. I could never get, oh, I would cry on the phone with my therapist. I could never get okay with the fact that he was so new and sobriety. And I was like, I feel like I'm taking something from him that I needed. I needed that time alone or in early sobriety to just be uncomfortable and be with myself and, so we went our separate ways and I kind of was like, all right, well, I'm done with that. And um, never thought twice about it until I saw him at a meeting and he had been, I always joke that he was like in his montage sequence in his, in, in our rom-com where he was like working out and he went back to college to get his wow. master's and then he fixed his teeth and grew a beard. I mean, he was looking amazing. I was that like, is the Hello. montage phase. Yeah. yeah. The makeover <laughs> phase. Yeah. And so we got back together and then we went out for, we were going to go to this comedy show that they have for, they call it Yuckaholics. It's in LA and it's all like sober comedians for sober people. It's really fun. We were going to go, but I was like, I don't really want to go to, comedy let's go out to dinner and we went to dinner in Malibu and um we've been back together ever since so that was like 15 months later 15 16 months mm -hmm. and then I got pregnant immediately and it was an ectopic wow. pregnancy um which mm -hmm. was really insane so I ended up in the ER on my birthday actually um and 
he was and this people is also, may not know people may not know what an ectopic pregnancy is right so people probably know it as like a tubal pregnancy it can yeah. happen in your ovary or your fallopian tube and it's basically when there is a baby it just isn't in the right place and it starts developing and it can be life-threatening and still mm -hmm. is actually for many women because a lot of people don't even realize they have it until their fallopian tube is exploded um, I was like, of course I have a freaking jihad baby that wants to blow me up. Um, <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. It's like if I can't, if I can't live, you won't either lady. Um, so we, we were like joking about, we, we, he was so amazing. That was really when I realized he was marriage material because I was so fucked up. You guys, I was we, I look back on it. I'm like, what kind of douchebags was I used to that when I had my like ectopic pregnancy and he brought me to the ER, I was like, you can just drop me off. And he was like, what? Hello, Smoker We've Got Em listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, biweekly episodes with Sarah Hepla. Sarah Hepla, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little uh, interim moment for you. Um, we're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks.